Hail you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week. And just as a reminder, smart speakers can play this podcast just by using the phrase, play podcast, Locked on Mizzou. Of course, say, hey Alexa, hey Google, whatever you got to do before that phrase. But again, that's play podcast. Locked on Mizzou. And today on the show, well, as you might expect, we're going to get to our preview of the Ole Miss Rebels basketball team. All about Brian Tyree and the whole squad. Also, there's a story from The Athletic this week, a good story by Peter Baugh, a good feature story about none other than Missouri's new football coach, Eli Drinkwitz. And there was a particular part of Eli's beginning of his college football career that I really related to, and I'll relate that back to my own life to give you guys a little bit of an insight on on who I am as a person there toward the end of the show in the final segment. But first, I want to start with just a wide variety, a grab bag, if you will, of Mizzou football and basketball news and notes just to get you all started today. Well, first of all, last week we discussed Ryan Walters, the Missouri defensive coordinator, and his name being brought up in relation to the now vacant Colorado Buffaloes head coaching job. And my whole thing with with that was basically it boiled down to I was just afraid that if offered the job, it seemed almost certain to me, just putting myself, if I were in Ryan Walters' shoes, I'd have a really difficult time turning down that job. But there has been some movement, some rumors, some innuendo in the subsequent days. And probably the biggest piece of news, or at least rumors, is that Brett Bielema is being talked about in Colorado. So to me, if Brett Bielema is a possibility at Colorado, possibly if he's even the, the leading contender for that job, well, that tells me that maybe Ryan Walters isn't as seriously considered as maybe we feared when this news first broke. Because at 34 years old, again, Ryan, a really young guy, even younger than Eli Drinkwitz. So a guy you're going to, you know, at least Eli Drinkwitz had one year being a head coach and a very, very successful year at that. So again, taking Ryan would be a big leap for Colorado. Just, it felt like something that wasn't totally out of the question to me, but now, ah, it's looking like Ryan will probably be sticking around in my humble opinion. I'm about 75% less worried than I was this time last week. Now, obviously, there's a long way to go in the 2021 football recruiting class, but there was some more news out there that was important that I thought. Ja'Kalen Johnson, the number one ranked player by most outlets in the state of Missouri, he's a six foot one cornerback, came out with his top six schools, and fortunately, Mizzou made the list along with some rather heavy hitters like Ohio State, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma, and Florida. So again, long way to go there. Who knows? Obviously, tough sledding anytime you're going against those type of schools. But just just again to note, Kalen Johnson certainly didn't get rid of Missouri off of his list or anything with Eli Drinkwitz coming here. In fact, quite the opposite. So a good sign, but again, long way to go there. One one note, one final note here before we get to our Ole Miss preview. Some interesting comments again from Conzo Martin. I referred to, gosh, is, does it sound like he's throwing some shade at Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith here? 
Well, what I was referring to there is basically during the LSU broadcast, it was brought up that Conzo had said that Drew Smith was not necessarily more hurt than either Mark Smith or Tillman, and that just made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. I thought, okay, maybe maybe I'm overanalyzing this a bit. But then, later, asked if Tillman had a setback after playing Texas A&M last week. Martin says, quote, I assume so. Interesting. I assume so. Well, first of all, again, that felt like a little bit of a passive-aggressive shot at Tillman to me. Call me crazy. But the other thing is, I assume so. I don't like hearing a lack of communication between my head coach and one of their best players, the training staff, and one of their best players. That that strikes me as odd and a negative, for sure. And it, it reminds me a little bit, you know, there was this story about the Michael Porter Jr. situation with Missouri and the Athletic a few months ago, and one of the things... Michael Porter Sr. actually talked about was that he and his wife weren't in great communication and there was sort of a breakdown of communication between him and Coach Martin as well during the whole Porter thing and and his injury situation the whole time. So, you know, that's really bizarre to me. Maybe I, you know, again, I always like to question myself. Maybe I'm, I'm making too much of a leap here, but that sounds to me like there's a bit of a lack of a communication problem there between Martin and some of his actual staff members when things can get a little uncomfortable. I, I, that, I don't know. If that's the case, we need to clean that up because clearly that's no way to run an organization. And quite honestly, Conzo's always struck me as a very confident guy and a, a guy who's very capable of communicating. So I don't know. That's very strange. There, there shouldn't be any assumptions. We should know what Tillman's foot situation is. I don't know. Maybe he was just being evasive there. But anyway, with all that being said, coming up right after the break, I'll get into the Ole Miss Rebels and what I think about their squad, plus my Eli Drinkwood story and how it relates to me, most importantly. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You know, actually, before I get to the Rebels... I want to lead with a Missouri statistic that should actually lead me into the to the Rebels and my analysis of them quite nicely. And it's just interesting because in conference, just if you just look at the conference stats, Missouri actually fifth in the SEC in three-point percentage. Now, that would probably stun most people if you hadn't seen that number before because, well, all of the talk this year – has been how Missouri can't hit a three-pointer, how they shoot too many three-pointers, and that's just been their biggest bugaboo, essentially, according to a lot of people. But, in fact, during SEC play, Missouri is dead last in two-pointers at 44.7%. Now, one thing to point out, again, that those three-pointers were Missouri's fifth in the league out of 14 teams. 
they're only shooting 33%. And I say only because historically that's not a great number. You wouldn't think that, wow, fifth in the league at 33% in the past. But again, you have to remember three-point shooting is down this year. We've got the longer line. So again, just some just some context there. In fact, Missouri's inability to score in the paint at times, to score for mid-range, anything other than a three and a free throw has really been their biggest problem. And speaking of three-pointers, really the only thing statistically, when you look, take a deep dive into Ole Miss's stats, the only thing that really stands out about them is that they're sixth in the nation in three-point defense. And, you know, that's one of those stats where obviously you got to take some of that with a grain of salt because, it, well, it could be that the teams you're happen to playing maybe aren't the greatest three-point shooting teams. Maybe you're happening to catch some teams on a particularly off night from the field. And, and the reason I bring that up is, is because Kermit Davis, his first year with the Rebels last season, well, they were like 200-something nationally. So I'm not really sure what to make of that. Now, Kermit Davis has an excellent rep as a defensive coach. So maybe it is true that the Rebels are starting to figure out his his style of play more, his style of defense. But actually, in fact, they were better last season because Kermit was the SEC Coach of the Year last year. And really, th- this was following an interesting tenure of 16 seasons at Middle Tennessee State where they were essentially for a 500 team for the first eight years of his of his career at Middle Tennessee. And then suddenly, 2012, they have a breakthrough year where they're a top 50 nationally style team. And other than a couple seasons from then on, they were about that good. So a veteran guy took him a while. Ole Miss ventures out, pays him a good chunk of money. And so far, you got to say, even though this is, I would say this has been a disappointing season for the Rebels. Certainly last year was a huge win to be able to get that team into the NCAA tournament and Davis's first year. That was quite the coup, but It'll be interesting to see what they can do from here going forward with this program. Now, the way I see it right now, this team just has, this Old Miss Rebels team, this particular year, a bunch of solid but really unspectacular players with, with a few exceptions. Now, obviously, the headliner here is Brian Tyree, or as I like to call him, Brian of Tyree, with a super lame Game of Thrones reference. But that's just my sense of humor. But in all seriousness, Tyree is certainly expected. He was preseason All-SEC. I'm sure he's probably still All-SEC, maybe on the borderline if you're only talking five players. But, you know, he's had a bit of an up-and-down campaign. He's a bit. He's what you might call a volume shooter. I kind of hate that term. It's almost a, a term that was borrowed that, that is no longer the case. Nobody accepts a volume shooter, a scorer. Somebody like Stefan Marbury, for instance, who shoots 40% from the field and puts it up 20 times a game. Nobody really likes that anymore. And Well, Brian, he definitely doesn't shoot that low of a percentage, but he was so bad two weeks ago. He was so bad in the first half against LSU. Again, their coach, Kermit Davis, he sat him down the entire second half and just basically ignored him. Didn't even look in his direction to even consider putting him back in the game. So he was sending quite the message there. The message was, hey, if you don't have your offense going, that's fine, but you still have to be a leader of men here. You're our senior. 
You're our all-SEC guy. You've got to do something. You've got to have better body language. Show some confidence. Show some leadership. That kind of deal. And you know what? So far, it seems to have worked. A week ago, he had 40 points against their big rival, Mississippi State. You know, he played pretty well against Kentucky this past Saturday. You know, I, I like Bria and Tyrese. He doesn't seem it doesn't seem like he's an NBA player, though, right? He's about six foot one. He's he's stayed all four years. I don't expect to see him a lot in the league, but then again, I don't think it's impossible either. He's a strong ball handler with his right hand. That's one of the biggest things with him. If you make him go left, you've got a chance. Really, really shade him hard and make him go left. That's one thing I noticed with him. He's not nearly as looking to score as he does when he goes off his right. And again, just this idea, I said before that the Rebels are composed, other than maybe Brian Tyree, of just a bunch of solid, unspectacular players. But to me, that that this is a credit to Kermit Davis. The more I watch them, I just realized he's done a good job of getting this team to do what it does well and getting the most out of the talent that he can. I'll be interested to see what Coach Davis can do when he's able in a few years when he's able to truly have this be his entire program. You know, part of the, again, they don't shoot a lot of threes. They have three guys who shoot all the threes, essentially. Again, you've got Brienne of Tyree, then you've got Devontae Shuler, and then Blake Henson. Those are the only three guys who shoot threes, but they all shoot between about 33 and 38%. Again, solid, but unspectacular. Ultimately, I think this is a game, a very winnable game for Missouri, on a Tuesday night at home. Really, I think the way Missouri's played lately, you've now seen three straight games of progress, including the the loss at LSU. I felt like that game was progress too. So I'm anticipating a Missouri victory here. We'll see. Hopefully we'll we'll get it done. I'll say Missouri by six, very optimistically. And with all that said, I do want to get to my Eli story. As well as, eh, maybe we'll get to some other stuff too. Maybe some other college basketball things that are annoying me. If we have time, but certainly we'll get to the Eli story and how it relates to me. I have to admit, one reason that I maybe am a fan of Eli Drinkwitz already is that, frankly, I relate to him quite a bit. Not only are we, we're just about the same age. We're within a few months of each other in, in terms of our birth date. So there's that. Certainly we're contemporaries, but then there's the thing of Eli, along with Mike Leach, is the only head coach in the SEC who didn't play college football. Well, guess what? I didn't play college football either. And in fact, I didn't play high school football because guess what? We didn't have it at Southern Boone. Yes, we have it now, but I lived in the dark ages of Ashland where things were, where we didn't have I was about to make some Norm Stewart jokes about indoor plumbing there, but I'll spare you. I'll spare all of you Ashland residents out there. But in all seriousness, I, I love Eli Drinkwitz's story. I love that he that his one of his high school coaches again in this athletic piece by Peter Ball. I'll put the I'll put the link in the in the description. But he basically said that Eli, what he made up for. And lack of size he made up for by being really slow. So essentially not the most athletic dude in the world, but a guy with tons of personality, tons of charisma, an incredible work ethic, and ultimately just a love for football. So that's something I really, really relate to. 
And the story that took it all home for me is, well, Eli and his young wife, who he met in Alma, Arkansas. Oh, what a beautiful little small town (laughs) story that is. But, you know, it really is great. Those guys, you know, you got to love – however love comes at you, you got to love it when they stick together. Boy, I am feeling sappy and post-Valentine's Day here. But, no, what I love about this story is – how you know that these people really love each other is because when Eli, he had a decent job as a teacher and a high school football coach, and Gus Malzahn wanted Eli to come with him to Auburn and be a graduate assistant for $15,000 a year. Now, keep in mind, Eli and his wife had just had their first daughter. They now have four daughters, I believe, but this was the first one. And how in the world were they, were they able to make $15,000 a year work? I have absolutely no idea. And the part of this story that really I relate to is that not only did they have to take a pay cut, they also had to take a, a big, sizable hit on the house that they sold. Because, well, this was 2008, 2009 this time. Yes, right in the middle of the real estate crash. And the thing was, Despite all the reasons to not do it, his wife was still all about it because she said, you know what, if we don't try this, you'll regret it, I'll regret it, we'll both regret it. And so what happens is they follow Gus Malzahn. Now, again, remember, this is this is Gus Malzahn under Gene Chizik. This isn't Gus Malzahn, the head coach. He doesn't have that much juice. And But Eli and his wife, their gamble, it pays off. When Gus Malzahn, you know, they win the national championship at Auburn with Gene Chizik, Cam Newton wins the Heisman Trophy, the whole deal. Then Malzahn is hired as the head coach at Arkansas State, and he takes Eli Drinkwitz with him as his running backs coach, and the rest is history. Now, running backs coach at Arkansas State, now that's some real money there. That's a real coaching job. That's not just a $15,000 a year graduate assistant. So essentially when he got that first job, it was all worth it. And the reason I relate to this story is because, well, I had just quit my job at the Columbia Tribune. Maybe, let's see, it was the fall of 2006. I had just purchased a house myself. And so after a few months, I had been sort of toiling around, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew that I couldn't work as a newspaper reporter anymore. I just couldn't do it. It just... Long story short, not enough money for a crappy lifestyle of missing, frankly, all the sports that I want to see on the weekend. See, that was something I didn't realize as a sports writer. I didn't realize that you had to give up watching all the good sports in order to cover crappy high school events. I'm sorry, I just I didn't think about that. But I eventually figured it out and decided to change my path and ultimately decided that I was going to make a go of being a stock trader. And I'd been tried, been studying this type of business for months and ultimately got a, just a, very coincidentally got a lucky opportunity that I took to go move to Chicago and make not $15,000 a year, but not a whole lot more than that. You know, considering I was living in Chicago and the expenses that I was incurring by living there, by myself, it might as well have been $15,000 a year. But the point was, is I took a chance to go up to Chicago for 
purely professional reasons, didn't know a single soul up there other than my boss, who I had just met. And, well, it all worked out. Took a job on the, you know, my job, uh, an open outcry trader on the Chicago Board of Trade floor. And while obviously I'm not doing that to this day, again, just like Eli is not still at Arkansas State being their running backs coach, this all led me to where I am today. And I'm happy with where I am today. I feel like I'm a relatively successful person and hopefully I'll have more success in the future just like we all hope that Mr. Drinkwitz does in the future as well. And, and just to put a button on this whole thing, I, I had a, a quick thing about Kobe Bryant a while back, and just my whole thing was is just don't be afraid and live your life because you never know how long it's going to be. And that may sound trite, but I really, really believe it. And my biggest thing is, again, just don't be afraid and don't listen to people who are naysayers. Listen to people who tell you you can do something. And I'm glad that Eli Drinkwitz listened to his wife, who told him that he could do something. Good for her, good for Eli, and good for the whole Drinkwitz family. And you know what? I think it's all going to work out well for our Missouri Tigers as well. So you know what? With all that being said, I'll be back with Blake after the Ole Miss game. We'll have a good old wrap-up for you, as per usual. So until then, I am John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.